Heartbreak opens onto the sunrise. For even breaking is opening. And I am broken. I am open. Broken to the new light without pushing in. Open to the possibilities within pushing out. See the love shine in through my cracks. See the light shine out through me. I am broken. I am open. I am broken open. See the love light shining through me, shining through my cracks, through the gaps. My spirit takes journey. My spirit takes flight. Just got a fucking call, man. Could not have risen otherwise. And I am not running. I am choosing. Running is not a choice from the breaking. Breaking is freeing. Broken is freedom. I am not broken. I'm free. Queer cinema over the past few years has forged a deep love affair with the coming-of-age narrative. Gay relationships and teen angst tend to cross paths in many narratives and with so many other emotions and nuance. This month's episode of Beyond Bisexual Lighting is a focus on The Coming of Gage, Part 2, Rethinking Platonic Relationships. To be fair, friendship remains an all-around underexplored terrain on the big screen. Those connections, because of their... um, I don't know those words. I've never read that word before. Tenuin, tenuousness, tenuousness, ephemerality. Ephem- I will say big you words um, tend to be undervalued. With the following three films, queer friendships allow for the collective activation of imagined possibilities that center embodied ease, love, and justice. So ephemeral in the sense that it's vague; it's not defined. Okay. Friendships are really hard to define. Oh, how, do you, yeah. how do you define a friendship? I don't. I found that's the best way for me to have friends is I just don't define them that much. And how do you define friendship as a, a queer woman? That's even more... I don't do it. Right? I don't really... Right? I don't, I don't touch that. Yeah, we... Yeah, that's like a... That's a shoddy subject. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how's it going? We were on a bit of a hiatus. Um, it's going good. We were a bit of a hiatus. Um, yeah, but I think it's uh, it's been a lot of time for reflection, time for watching other movies that aren't necessarily um, coming of gauge. Yeah, we needed a little bit of a of, of a break. I think we 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 got too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, there. we got in too deep. But now we're coming back with a couple of really great themes. Um, well, of course, right now it's coming of age and how we define platonic friendships. Um, and then we're going to be doing a couple on uh, salacious oh, yes. female friendships. Salacious female friendships. Uh, one on horror. We're going to do one as well on threesomes throuples and parties of three menage a trois so all of the but i think that'll be um, triangles yeah those will be pretty juicy but what have i been watching i have actually been on a series kick um because i i've been really bad about series lately and just keeping up yeah start watching barry which one is Barry? Barry's the Bill Hader assassin turned. Ah, but you actor. showed me you've showed me an episode before and I liked it. It's about the actress too, the blonde one. Yeah. 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 It's a lot about her. But um it's really good. And um and then I've also been watching Our Flag Means Death. Speaking of a lot of queer platonic friendships there. It's um it's made by Taika Waikiki, and it's about queer pirates. That's the premise. Aren't all pirates kind of queer? Well, that's basically like what it. I mean, wasn't that posits. the whole plot of Pirates like, of the Caribbean? That's a thesis statement. Like its thesis statement is like pirates are gay. Yeah. Well, we already like they like they they, they didn't have any other choice. I mean, yeah, you're at sea. 
You know what? Yeah, a little freaky, freaky leaky, you know? I, I want to mention that um, I've been really into Victorian stuff lately. And I want to read this book called Beyond the Dark Veil. And it's a book about grief photography, which is a type of photography that in the Victorian era, since cameras were relatively new um, and expensive, families typically only ever had one photo of them taken, like as a portrait. And um, it was usually when one of the members of the family had already passed. And they would prop them up in the photo and pose with the, the dead body, the dead family member. But Dress like, them up and everything, too. But why not, like, the baby mode? Or why not, like, the adolescent mode? What do you mean? Like, why they, Why is it got to be a dead... That part I'm not sure about, but they... Like, it's one time in your life. Why is the one time in your life... Like, you're not going to be needed to be ID'd after if you're dead, right? Like, they don't need to do a background check on you then. All right. Well, I'm saying that I've been really into that lately. And so I really want to read that book. And it has a lot of photos of um, these really kind of creepy but beautiful portraits. Um, what else? Oh, but that got me thinking. Like, in the Victorian era, homosexuality was, like, more and more and more common than people want to think. Oh, yeah. Definitely a lot of female friendships there. Yeah, they were just really good friends. They're... There was, like, a series that I wouldn't wanting to see that it's called Dickinson. It's about Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson? Yeah, and, like, all the freak queer shit she did. You know what? You know what my parents should have already known that I'm kind of fruity is that um, when I was in the fifth grade, we had to do a project and presentation on a famous person, and then we had, like, a fair in the library, and so everybody picked, like, their favorite famous person. And guess who I picked? Who did you pick? Emily Dickinson. <laughs> I picked Emily Dickinson. And how old were you? I was, like, 10 years old. Um, But, yeah. No, I know. She... But isn't that... Wasn't that, like, coming out last year? Yeah, it came out last year. Yeah. How is it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I don't want to see it. What else have I been up to? Um, I went to see Licorice Pizza. Oh, yeah, you didn't, you didn't like it. No, I, much. I didn't like it at all, which was really sad because I love Paul Thomas Anderson. What part didn't you like? I love him so much. I'm one of those people that calls him PTA. <laughs> what, I, what, <laughs> what, what made you not? It's just, I, I don't know why movies have to be like three hours long now. Like Batman? Ah, uh, yeah. Like, why that long? It's like every couple of scenes I thought, okay, now it's done, right? Or no, now it's done. Oh, wait, wait, there's more. But do you just not like long movies in general? No. Do you think that the 90-minute the format is like... Oh, I'm a huge fan of the 90-minute format. format. I don't have a great tension span, so it's got to be quick. Like, 90 minutes. There's a, there's an SNL skit that just came out that actually talks about the 90-minute format. Really? And that how it's... The preferred format for everybody. It's for a reason, dude. I just don't <laughs> see me after. I don't see it working out after ninety minutes. Like, there's something. Why are we? This should be a mini series at that point. But no, I didn't like it very much. Also, the Haynes sisters kind of bug me, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I like. It's a nice effort. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Like, it's, it's no like, phantom bless thread. Bless their heart. It's really no phantom thread. It was quite the opposite reaction when I, actually when I watched Phantom Thread, I was completely engulfed in the movie and like just it. I was just my breath was taken out of my body. But with this one, I was just like, you know what I mean? Just nothing. I think what I did like, I did like it was a lot of good cinematography. Oh yeah, always. I mean, always. PTA always. He's he's real good about that. That's a given. So yeah, what else have you seen? Um. Oh, actually, I saw it. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but uh, it's a Robert Zemeckis film that's called um, "Death Becomes Her." Mm-hmm. Goldie Hawn, um, Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis. 
Yeah, you were on a Bruce Willis kick for a while. I'm always on a Bruce Willis kick. <laughs> I... You just... <laughs> but there was a controversy with him recently, wasn't there? That he's, like, being exploited? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucked up. Isn't he, like, um... He has a chronically aphasia. ill? Yeah, he has aphasia. Yeah, so he's been going through, like, these straight-to-TV um, blog, like, I don't know, action movies. And what? how many did he do a couple years ago or last year? I think he did, like, 20 or something like that. 20 like, a movies in a cinema. year? I mean, they don't, they, they don't really take that long to knock them out. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the premise is pretty much... Is, is 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 pretty much there but i um death becomes her i really i really really enjoyed it it's it's about these two women that they are basically competing for the affections of this man played by bruce willis and so they have the they basically tap into this elixir this treatment that allows you to be basically immortal and it's like this fountain of youth situation. Okay. And so both of them basically become immortal and they find out that they become immortal. And it's really good. It's it's like really early CGI. So like from a special effects standpoint, it's actually really, really good. Um, also has Isabella Rossellini. Ooh. Babely. Yeah. Babely. Babely. Um, but it's also interesting because I was thinking about it's in in such a way i think it's also kind of a salacious female friendship um they're like kind of obsessed with each other yeah like it, it it's like this whole like sexual obsession that is also based on revenge right kind of film nice yeah yeah i was thinking about how um the other night i put on election with reese witherspoon <laughs> such a good film it's so fucking good i really i watched it when i was a kid and then i came back to it and i watched it the other night and i just forgot how good reese witherspoon is i think it's good she's I think, my queen dude i think i i propose that i think we should do a a film or it's like an episode based on like these queer secondary sex characters that come in like a 90 a lot of 90s films yeah like that? like the sister with the obsession with her ex-girlfriend <laughs> yeah and then her ex-girlfriend starts fucking her brother and yeah she not has, her brother the ex-girlfriend's the, brother the ex-girlfriend's yeah. brother and then um yeah <laughs> i mean and jawbreaker also, jawbreaker also jawbreaker um those were some of the Chocolate best. Gorgeous. Yes. There's a cool character. Dick with Kristen Dunst. About the um, yeah, Watergate. Yeah, about Watergate. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen that film forever. Oh. But. Or All I Want to Do. What's that one? Um, It's with Gabby Hoffman, I think. But you know what movie was really like influential to me as a kid was the movie Strike. With Gabby Hoffman. And it's like set I in the 60s. I noticed a trend here. I noticed a, a Gabby, a Gabby, a Gabby Hoffman. She, I, I Gabby love Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman. She was in the... I don't know how we got to her, but... Yeah, we got her really but long. She, <laughs> Gabby Hoffman rules, dude. She was in... Transparent, um, right? Transparent, which yeah, I guess remember. was like canceled. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Or ended prematurely. But another word for that is canceled. Ended, Yeah. I'm I'm injured prematurely. I thought it was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show. I liked it. I mean, despite unfortunate news, um, I really loved that show when it was on. So bad things lined up, but what we wanted to redo this episode specifically because the sound quality was god awful. It was really bad. It, we it were god like, awful. Like, it sounded if you think like we're, we're god awful now. Like, look at the back one. Like, we're it was insufferable. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. We're both like, like, like dead fish. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> yeah, I think we got our groove back a little. We bit. Had a, yeah, we're 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 grooving it back. It's hard to do coming of 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 age, a coming of gauge because yeah. it's like, it's like. 
it's like Radiohead, you know? Like, you like the content, but you don't like the fans. Like, I don't like Radiohead fans. I don't like I don't sometimes like the connotations fans. of coming of age, either. Yeah. Um, it's super cliche. It's cliche. That's It's the very thing. cliche. It's very, like, um, <clears throat> you know, you think of coming of age, you think of young people kind of, like, in a protagonist role. And oftentimes we, we see that narrative a lot, and we don't really think about, like, older people in coming of age like do you know there's so many good older coming of age movies we there are a lot of good ones when i yeah like gloria from chile that movie is so good in that it's like about an older woman finding herself after like divorce and actually you would yeah we can consider that one of these films kind of falls into that um yeah because there's a there's a big there's a there's a bit of a, a kind of like fast forward right we'll a, talk about that film um with the the last film that we'll talk about which is your name engraved terrain actually let's start with this one okay let's start with this one because i feel <laughs> like um so we're already talking about that concept of uh i think i think this one also as well handles like age and age and what is age and lost love and and, yeah. and regret really really well yeah so this film your name engraved herein um it's like such a mouthful to say so i'm just gonna say your name and you'll you guys will get the rest um it's a film that is um it's a taiwanese film that came out in 2020 and the general synopsis is imagine 1987 taiwan liberated from martial law and there's these two boys, uh, Ahan, um, who's a little bit shy, and he meets Birdie, who's a little bit more outgoing, rebellious, and they start hanging out in school, and they start to develop this relationship over time, but it gets, it, it's a lot of kind of come and go, um, there's a lot of mixed signals, and one of them gets involved with a, a girl, um, and then, you know, eventually they keep their distance from each other. And, but it actually starts 30 years after the general plot, um, the general kind of basis of events. Um, because if what happens is the two meet each other again and have to kind of, yeah, rehash a lot of the mixed feelings that came from that sense of, you know, what happened in the past and, and, and living in that sort of context where, um, being queer was illegal and led to jail time also because well to give some context i guess in this era in taiwan and in most of frankly in a lot of parts of the world there was this idea that queer people were sick or they had a disease this was at the height of like the hiv aids crisis too so there was also this idea that like people had People were diseased and sick and wrong and going to hell. I mean, that this film also has a lot of like religious um, kind of details to it too. Yeah, a lot of I, I think I think when you understand a little bit of the the context, um, like especially Taiwanese context within the film, I think you you end up appreciating it a little bit more. But at that time in the eighties. Is schooling was done mainly by Catholic missionaries. Um, there was a lot of Catholic missionary influence, and that's kind of where it takes place. So there's a where there's a religious motif. They there's a mentor who is a priest. There's a lot of biblical verses that are weaved into the narrative. Um, in fact, there's like an opening scene that the opening scene is it's a it's a it's a parable from Songs of Solomon 8-7 that says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. And, yeah, damn. Songs, Songs of Solomon's kinky as fuck, man. That's some <laughs> sexual tension. I mean, yeah. Basically, that's what this film's about. I mean, I think any phrase that says the word quench. Right? Yeah. Like any quenching wo- a thirst. Or moist. Or wet. I don't know. <laughs> They're all kind of sexual words in anyway anyway <laughs> so um yeah i guess well for me while watching the film it seemed to me that 
both of the young men that were kind of forming a relationship were sort of confused about what it is they were actually doing. If they were forming a relationship romantically, to me, it felt more like they were experiencing any kind of relationship for the first time. And that maybe they weren't even sure how to name it or put a title on it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it, I mean, there's definitely that sort of weaving of kind of general teenage confusion. I yeah. think that all teenagers have like a pretty gnarly more like moral compass during that time. But I think as well, um, <clears throat> there's just a, I mean, it's a lot of the pressure, you know, coming from martial law having to dress a certain way. There's, I mean, the whole film deals with the unraveling of secrets, not just with these two characters, but with parental figures, the priest himself, who is eventually um, revealed to be gay um, and have had a former relationship. Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's, it's very, it's, I, you know, I, I, one of the things that sometimes we criticize about, like, queer films and, and coming of, of gauge films in general is that the, the ending is always kind of sad. Um, yeah, it goes back to that, like, tragedy trope. Yeah, and I, but I, I, I think we, we get that sense of, of closure. I, th- I think the tragedy, the tragedy in the film... Because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, man, like another case of like two people who don't end up getting together and they go to a fight and then, yeah. And then I I, 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 I started thinking of the, I guess you would say kind of the, the, the context of it all. The fact that, I mean, this is a, I think this is a film that, well, if you, if you take it, the, the context right now in Taiwan that you know same-sex marriage has is legal um, and only very recently yeah within the past few years yeah. and taiwan's like considered one of the top lgbtqi spaces in 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 southeast asia but a lot of what came to kind of get that point was really really dark and I, I, in some sense there's like a sense of grief between these two characters because these two characters never it was kind of being in in a place of a wrong time. Yeah, they could never really fully realize any part of their relationship. And I think that's where a lot of those scenes that we see, if you've seen the film or if you're going to, there are a lot of scenes that are quite touching and, and that they're very secret and they're very much under the covers um, where they kind of go on these adventures together. Um, it's really sweet. Like... And then they'll find themselves in, like, an empty classroom and they just, like, put on a projector and watch a movie. And then someone catches them and they have to leave. But they're always just, like, I don't know. Or, like, the karaoke club. Yeah. Like, spaces where they could really be themselves, but they were so temporary and so secret and so inaccessible. Um, So, yeah, I really like that part of the film. I think that... um, you know, it, it relates a lot to like how I felt when I was going through um, teenage relationships or teenage love. Like I always felt like, I don't know, you, you kind of have to sneak around. Yeah. And you have to like, I don't know, have sex in a car. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you have to or like really a, get... Or, or in a high school bathroom. That's where they have sex, right? Like uh, basically... Yeah, that's... Yeah, of course. But... um I think in yeah in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a sense I think one of the th- one of the things that I I I liked as well is that like I said you you have an understanding of what is that sort of position in terms of like Taiwanese culture at that time I mean 1987 um at that time there was a lot of influence from Hong Kong in Hong Kong cinema. You can tell that a lot with the film. I think the film has Wong a lot of, Yeah, the the film has so much like one car why influence man. Yeah, like happy together. Like those those excellent movie. Yeah, those like those like 12 mil, 12 millimeter shots that are like right there. Oh, and, I know and like the coloring, those yellow yeah. tones. 
but I think as well in terms of the content, there's a lot of because it takes place in 87 there's a lot of like reference to not just cinema but music in fact there's a, like one little tidbit um this Leslie Chung who was is ba- was basically like is the queer I was the queer icon in Southeast Asia um in the 80s and 90s there, there's actually several homages to him uh, as well as other queer figures in Southeast Asian culture throughout the film. And it's actually really, really touching. Um, from musicians to actors to queer rights activists, it's definitely like this uh, uh, homage to the ones... It's homage to the, to the ones who kind of led the battle and led the charge. Yeah. If you think of it that way. It's like <clears throat> these people were basically... A, like stone like the equivalent of stonewall how it was right. in the sense of yeah how revolutionary um being out and expressing that sort of like femininity um and, and i think as well like ahan and birdie kind of play with that sense of femininity as well they kind of like test the waters yeah i was gonna say like um unfortunately given uh, the times in which they're being you know these spearheaders in in the movement they're also being completely like bashed as well i mean there's a scene right in the film with a queer activist yeah who's talking about they find themselves in the street the two boys find themselves in the street and there is a somebody with a sign that says being gay is not a disease yeah he's in he's still he's still around actually he like still leads yeah. all of the pride rights marches and but yeah because like i mean and he's completely taken away i mean we don't see anything he's only he's detained for like a minute yeah he's detained he's detained he's beaten yeah so what i'm saying is they're paving the way but at a huge cost oh yeah absolutely and and i mean when you think of it like it you mentioned like 87 that's that's when that's definitely when you know that's when the AIDS crisis was definitely kicking into high gear and at yeah. least was known as like a national or sorry international news and um it was it was being taken as like I mean we all know how it was treated as like not very not very serious disease because it was only affecting one demographic of people and so therefore it wasn't as um there was no urgency to really treat it um and that's where it spread to like all kinds of people not necessarily just queer people i believe that in the yeah as well i believe that the priest uh succumbs to aids that's what it's from what's like in, in it's spoken it's not like outwardly said mm, it's like but, implied but but when they speak with the priest's partner yeah um and there's it's implied that um the basically to add some context um when um ahan go ahan goes at some point to montreal to get to know where his the priest his mentor came from and and etc and he came into contact with the priest's former partner so it's kind of like that big reveal that the priest as well was also gay. And um, when, you know, they chat, it alludes that, you know, that the priest as well had had succumbed to either to HIV AIDS. Mm. And it's made to that sort of kind of reference there. Well, we'll come back to this film because there's still some things that we want to talk about. But I think what is a good way to kind of transition to our next film is this conversation around the AIDS crisis um, and the AIDS epidemic um, and kind of talking about the way that these societal backgrounds are sort of imposed on these characters and very much define how their relationships sort of pan out. Um, Like in My Name Engraved Herein, these two are essentially, because of so much bigotry and prejudice and homophobia that is like, completely explored through 
you know, their parents or the school mm-hmm. where they're so clearly like segregating these these kids um, and their parents are completely like hysterical at the thought of having a child who's any less than um, this like heterosexual do-gooder, I guess. Um, yeah, and then sadly that is really kind of heavily influencing how their relationship can can come about. You you see kind of that latent hostility uh, with with within parents that sort of kind of hostility in in pariah as well. I think that's such a when you consider the the family dynamic of that, it's right. And, I was re-watching the film uh, just recently and yeah the 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 scenes with uh Audrey the mother she yeah this is another great example of like somebody who is kind of you know I think this is like such a theme in so many coming of age films is like coming adversity like really jumping through the hoops that are given or thrown at you I guess um so yeah, we chose Pariah. It's directed and written by Dee Reeves. I think it was her first full. It was taken feature. from a short. It yeah. was taken from a she she attended NYU. She did a short in two thousand seven, and she took that short into into her feature lengths. Right. So um, Pariah. It was made in two thousand eleven. And it's about a 17-year-old Brooklyn native, Alike, and how she's quietly but firmly embracing her identity as a lesbian and kind of playing around with gender identity, too. Um, With the sometimes boisterous support of her best friend, out lesbian, Laura, Alike is especially eager to find a girlfriend. So she develops a brief relationship with Bina, and this is her first experience of heartbreak. At home, her parents' marriage is strained and ever more some, so whenever Alika's development became a topic of discussion. Um, wondering how much she can confide in her family, Alika strives to get through adolescence with grace, humor, and tenacity. Sometimes succeeding, sometimes not, but always moving forward. I I think the key here, and in, 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 in this is something that I really appreciate in this film, Alika's out. Oh, yeah she's she's out and this is where so the mother audrey is really the only one who doesn't know it or who just chooses not to see it everyone else so clearly sees it yeah she's so basically so as i there's there's this messed up there's this fucked up family dynamic in the middle of it um you have alike who's the oldest who is i mean she she's a lesbian it's she expresses her gender a certain way you have a younger sister as well and then you have the dynamic between the parents um in this case arthur and audrey that is that is a toxic (laughs) fuck relationship yeah um and a lot of the the anger that audrey the mother feels or that sort of kind of sense of control that she feels that she's lacking is is taken out at uh alika's basically gender expression or lack of desire to go to church um audrey comes from a a very very religious background and yeah alika is so clearly out and she has a friend like laura who is definitely out um, and we see them in the beginning at this club. And I guess this is kind of like how the film was influenced, right? It came about because the Dee Reese was had her first experience at a lesbian club. So Dee Reese, she's not from New York. She's from Nashville, which obviously Nashville is not probably your hotspot for, for any type of club. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so when Dee Reese um, moved to New York, uh, her first experience, I mean, she was already out, but her first, she had her first experience going to a, a lesbian club. 
and that sort of mixed feeling of both shock and attraction and repulsion and and, timidness. and guilt yeah timidness and and you and you see that expressed in in Alike um, Alike despite you know she's she's queer but she's also very very sheltered and she is like once it, it's it's like very teenager in that aspect that she wants her like little happily ever after and I mean yeah very she's, romantic in that sense we kind of see her living a double life because after the club she gets on the bus and she changes clothes yeah to go home to be presentable um because yeah Audrey I think a, a big thing that I noticed in the film while watching it was that um the the importance of clothing in gender expression or expression of self um because we see audrey the mother kind of like pushing these really stereotypical feminine girly clothing onto alike um and her completely rejecting it because that's not who she is especially a scene where she tries on the sweater that her mom bought her that was like this pink cardigan and she says it's not me I am ready. You're not going to church in that. What's wrong with this? Where's that blouse I bought you? What's wrong with this? That! Do what your mom says. Are you hungry? Here, let me heat this up for you. That's okay. Oh, it tastes so much better. Just Dad. leave it. Leave. Leave me out of it. Now go get changed. Dad, what's wrong with this outfit? Nothing. See, I'm not gonna argue with you. Do what she says. Dad. Ungawa. And put on a skirt. Give me a beer, please. It's Sunday morning. It goes with the spaghetti. Too much lip gloss. Did you talk to her? Surround is fine. I'm talking about Lee. Alike. And I don't see that there's a problem. I'm tired of this whole tomboy thing she's been doing. And Laura, you said that you were going to handle it. Mm-hmm. She needs a male point of view. I said, okay, damn it. Do you have to work tonight? To put food on the table and clothes on our backs? No. To go to the restaurants and keep designer sneakers in the closet? Yeah. Are you forever going to be mad? Are you forever going to be happy? You made that decision a long time ago. We both made sacrifices. You look beautiful, baby. Tuck your blouse in. This isn't me. Tuck it in. Leave it out. I think it's fine out. And so when Alika is on the bus changing clothing, um, before she was completely herself, like she felt like she was in her element, albeit a little bit shy of an element, not there all the way yet, but she did feel more herself than I'm sure she does in her regular life on a day-to-day basis. Um, And so, yeah, Audrey pushing these kind of like hyper-feminine clothing, kind of projecting these ideals of what femininity should be onto her daughter. Yeah, there's a lot of performance when when you think about a performance coming from Audrey in general with regards to expression in the sense of for her being a good, you know, good wife, preparing meals for her husband who's always working, dedicating herself more to religion, being that sort of kind of anchor, uh, the kind of that moral anchor of the family, and I, I see it as she as well polices herself in the way that she dresses, and even just the way she polices Alike in in her name, she never calls her Alike. Her father calls her Lee. She calls her Lee. Mm, yeah. Which Lee True. is a, is a much more feminine version. Lee. I mean, 
I'm not certain if if Alike is 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 originally a war feminine or or, or, or masculine name, but probably for an, for someone from an outsider, um, I could probably see him as as male, and Lee is not. Right, he's a very feminine name. Oh yeah, I think that um, it's a great dynamic between what we see with the mother and daughter in this movie and then what we see with the father and daughter. Because I feel like the father, although he's like not really in the picture as a you know, present person, because he's always working, and that's like a big thing they mention in the film a lot, um, he's still there a lot more emotionally than the mother. Um, he's still very much emotionally present for his daughters. Um, and for Alika especially... He seems to be this kind of like guiding force in her life. Or I don't know if you would agree with that. And it's sort of this like slow burn. I mm, I feel like Alika's dad is similar to a lot of immigrant dads, I would say, in the sense that my my dad being an immigrant dad did the best he could and took care, but probably was not the most like emotionally intuitive person like in the sense that probably kept the peace a lot more and and like and and what i see in arthur is that arthur has great intentions but he can only extend that sort of emotional capacity so far i mean he's he's sharing his capacity as to how he was taught to be an emotional person which is kind of none. I'm saying he's more of an emotional figure than his her mother. Oh yeah, is. but it's also but that's also a small. But it's also like the pressure him, you know, him being a cop, and I think there's his wife puts a lot of pressure of like this, like you have to be a man and fulfill these requirements of, of yeah, you have to play man. this role because I'm playing this role, and I'm pissed because my daughter's not playing her role. And she's causing a wave. I think that's like the big takeaway here with Audrey is that she is so confined to her boxes that when somebody is completely stepping out of line, she's threatened. And she doesn't know what to do. And so when it's her own daughter, she goes to religion and completely isolates her. Or or puts her daughter in these very weird situations that it, it's funny because if, and for example i saw the scene where she kind of sets her up with bina and under any with bina who's the girl that aunt alika takes a, a liking to and long story short they they consummate their relationship or you know they have a sexual encounter and the way that audrey sets it up man it feels like a date i don't know i i as I, I got, yeah. I got set up a lot in Hebrew school by my mom, <laughs> and that same thing was like, oh, I got a friend for you. Like I got like my friend. Oh, it's my, it's my friend from church. It's like daughter. My fr- it's like my friend from Temple. You know, you know, Mrs. Silberman, David. You know, David. He goes to the other school. Yeah, you should really meet him. And I'm like, oh my god, mom. And I was probably. Okay, my mom doesn't sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom sounds like more Puerto Rican. <laughs> um, Which is like, what if you feel like a Puerto Rican Jew? Someone knows what that sounds like. But but I, I felt like she was almost like in any other context in the film. I, I would have thought she was setting her up on a date. Like, given the fact that she was like being so sneaky about it. And she's like, I'm going to force you guys to like hang out together. Yeah. What do you think else is going to happen? <laughs> I don't know, because it seemed to work out for them in the moment. But then again, Bina was not in it for the long haul. Yeah. I suppose not in it seriously. Not as emotionally invested, I guess. Didn't have as much as at stake. I think I think what is implied in the film is that, the, well, Alike has a much stronger sense of self. Whereas yes. Bina... I think is is portrayed not as not as like being weak, but still kind of going through that phase of of going that fear, the emotions, and the, the the fear of kind of having that sort of 
expression because Ibida was supposed to be is like the more outgoing one and she's the one that's kind of like the wilder one isn't that funny how that turned out because I thought the same Alika had knows who she is of course and she does not make compromises for other people in the way that her friend Laura doesn't as well like Laura does not make compromises for other people and I think we see that's kind of a big reason why their friendship flourishes so much is because they're so unapologetically f- about who they are that they yeah. are they have more capacity to accept other kinds of people um yeah you you, you see that with 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 their with their relationship you see that um that sense of in 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 the case Alike and Laura have very difficult relationships with their, their mothers, mothers. Um, and Laura also Laura lives with her sister in this case they live together and Alike is also very close to her sister and you see and you see this kind of all come ahead when Alike I mean basically comes out for like probably the umpteenth time but finally says like I'm gay, you know? Her mother wouldn't have accept, like, wouldn't have known it if it hit her on the head. <laughs> she was in complete denial about it. I know. I know. Deep, deep, deep denial. And and resorts to violence. I mean, she, she basically resorts to violence towards Alike, and, and that's where you see that sort of kind of emotional availability from the family just, like, cut short. Cause yeah. The, the this whole image was threatened yeah 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 and and even the dad who is this somewhat sympathetic person um i think he feels that sort of pressure and that limitations i mean like a, like you know a cop having a queer daughter that's i think definitely a lot of yeah, pressure that, that looks and, bad and exactly and i <clears throat> and I think especially I mean that's like a very obvious thing with with it with immigrant families I think this uh, concept of 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 choosing your family um is really is really strong um in especially not just with Leaky's relationship with Laura but with her writing professor um, Mrs. Alvarado who basically encourages her to go to school for writing that was another thing that her mother was completely against wanted her to like have a, a, a more a more standard career and it's overall i think this is it's out of out of all of them i think in terms of like content this flips the script it's not this very you know it's not a chaotic coming of age film i think it's a very controlled film about someone that is honestly very 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 certain of themselves but having to kind of weigh the options of you know you know how much they can take it's more of like a question of like when there yeah and you see that you see that as her coming into her own in the end and and being understanding that that comes at risk the relationship that she has with her family and and eventually you know doing her best and moving on but but staying true to to herself and I think that that's also kind of similar. That's I would say tying it into our last film, which is my own private Idaho. I in a lot of ways, Pariah, um, the full Pariah Alike remind me of of um, of Mike. I think Mike is so unapologetically himself. Yeah, this movie has a very soft spot in my heart. I love River Phoenix. You know what? I was actually watching the Walking Phoenix Oscar nomin- or Oscar award speech that he had for the Joker. I don't know how it came across. It was like in my mentions in YouTube or something. And um, well, he talks about like how we're all kind of consumed in this these distractions and how we think that we're better than other species. And he, you know, he's vegan, so he talks about. Um, speciesism and he also talks about um, he brings up like a quote from River Phoenix his brother about guiding everything through with love 
and I just like thought it was so sweet. Um, so yeah, I really love this film. It was directed by and written by Gus Van Sant in 1991. It stars River Phoenix, the late River Phoenix, um, Keanu Reeves, and they kind of play these kind of polar opposites. Um, Mike Waters, who's played by River Phoenix, lives on the street and befriends the somewhat older and streetwise Scott. Scott is Keanu Reeves, who shows him what is necessary to survive. Both characters are sex workers and live in squatting situations with other men. Waters suffers from narcolepsy and can fall asleep at any moment and in almost any circumstance. Favor comes from a rich family and is rebelling against his own background. They travel together extensively, waters and driven by the need to find his biological mother and spend time in Italy. Later in life, however, Favor has joined mainstream society and has little time for his old friend. So what a... Now that I think about it, this film makes a lot of sense when we compare it to Pariah in that I see a lot of Alike in Mike. And I see a lot of the other girl from church, what's her name? Bina. Bina and Scott. Oh yeah, I think the sense of like, in 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 the sense of like, how do I say this? Um, Bina, despite being, I you would say the more rebel of the pair, and the same as Scott, in the end, is probably the person that is submitting to heteronormative ideals in the end. Both Bina and Scott. Um, Bina, for as wild as she says she is, she likes to party, and and she's the one that initiates with Alike. She's, she hesitates to chalk it up as anything other than just an experience that she can just repress and pretend to never happen. And just kind of basically has com- it's a complete lack of growth and the same is said for for Scott uh, Scott's a rich boy that he decides to go against his parents and be a sex worker yeah I almost felt like Scott and Vina both play these sort of tourists that kind of come into the lives of Mike and Alike and kind of experiment a little bit and then check out like dip out when it starts becoming uncomfortable um and for mike and alike they really they have no other choice that's who they are you know they don't have another way to live or be themselves um mike specifically he is living on the street he's kind of living in this punk house (laughs) with these squatters um in portland yeah oregon it's like a it's yeah it's like a commune slash yeah slash um gutter house yeah yeah and and that's how well basically scott and mike meet meet through there um and they start to develop a bond and Mike's bond becomes more more romantic and Mike's always someone that ha- I would say kind of because he knows who he is he, he much easily wears his heart on on his sleeve and he's much more you know emotionally open yeah I mean for those of you have, who have seen it, um, you might remember the really classic scene in around the fire house, or the fireplace when they're out on the road. I mean, this film is very much a road film because these two are traveling from not only like Idaho to Portland, <clears throat> but to Italy. And so there's a lot of these different backgrounds and ambiance. Um, but what I was getting at is that these two sort of have to work together on these little quests that they are given through their not only, uh, I guess for Scott, it's sort of, again, these experiences to go and have a client and go and have these like rendezvous adventures. Um, But for Mike, it's very much like his method of survival. 
because he doesn't have another way out. He doesn't have another way to make money. Um, it's like his. I feel like with Scott, it's like his gap year. He's basically he's taking, just like going to Europe. <clears throat> what for, a rich little. He's bitch. going to Barcelona, and then he's just like gonna always bring that up when he's, he's gonna in get his working holiday visa, and he's gonna be backpacking in New Zealand. You know, maybe work for Oxfam for a little bit. You know, that's what he's gonna. <laughs> he's gonna call Barcelona Barcelona. He's gonna for the teach. Rest of his he's life. teach for America. He's gonna say, "Oh my God, when I lived in Copenhagen, we had never had breakfast this late." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, That's basically <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, but yeah, for Mike, it's not anything like that. And I mean, Mike also has this um, habit of falling asleep. So it's very much like he is at the kind of at the need of other people. Other people really he needs other people to survive. Um, and he's really always strapped for cash. So he just has to take whatever job comes about. I mean, he's he's like. He's extremely marginalized. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, that's yeah. A, like he's, I mean, narcolepsy is a disability. I believe you, I, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe if you're narcoleptic, you qualify for disability now. Um, that, and, 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 I mean, he's a, he's a queer narcoleptic sex worker who whose family like basically a, a, a abandoned him and he's on this quest to to yeah to kind of you know come to terms with that loneliness that he has and that's why i think that that campfire scene is so 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 heartbreaking because you see in in mike's case he he opens he opens his heart and he he recognizes where he stands with regards to the relationship and and also kind of recognizes where he is in in terms of society i think i think that that declaration that he has is not just a declaration specifically to scott but more of a declaration to to what the 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 dominant society eh, at, at large it's a declaration similar to like how alike has this declaration of she's not running she's choosing and in a lot of terms mike i feel like does that as well yeah i think also that's why mike really comes to find his family in this commune with these other um kind of desolate people like um, flea like flea flea is in this film <laughs> flea the only member of red hot chili peppers that i know his name is is, is the bass player <laughs> there's like a tweet about that it's like the only member i know from red hot chili peppers is the bass player <laughs> yeah I, this this commune is is interesting because it's this it's so the head of this commune is a much older man and this much older man solicits the services for, of these 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 younger guys without a doubt um but there's also a there's also this beautiful type of camaraderie um that you that you see there how they first of all how they kind of back each other up is for example the scene where the cops show and try to kick out the squatters yeah but also and so the the head of the the this commune ends up passing away and this is after scott and mike have kind of gone on their ways and and mike not searching not not reaching what he was searching for not getting that closure and scott basically going back to his life as a as like a little trump millionaire with his new with Melania, yeah, with yeah, his new Italian cottage core princess. Yeah, with the cottage core Melania. Um, so um, yeah, so Donald Favor, I mean Scott Favor. Um, there's what happens is that Scott is part of a hin- inheritance. He receives an inheritance from his deceased father, and at the same time, Mike's father figure, who was helping run this commune, also uh, dies. And the funerals are held at the same day. And that's where I feel you see that sort of marked importance of a chosen family as 
Gata was saying, and your biological family. And you see that in the process of these two funerals that go concurrently. Gata, do you want to give a, a description of these funerals? Oh, yeah. So the funeral with the with the squatters is more I saw is it, it, it was sort of like a celebration of life. I feel like that's how funerals kind of should be. But like when I'm saying like these these guys were like truly loving their time together. They got fucked up and they danced. They got fucked up and they danced as they would at any other day. This is just another day that is like filled with like celebration of somebody that was truly really important to them. Um, and then we see the other one. Which is like a, a motherfucking drag. It's like a waspy, normal, boring funeral. It's, yeah, it's just dry. And, and you see Scott look over and, 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 and reflect upon that life that he had. See for myself and mine eyes shall behold. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting and let us not be weary in well doing I mean in 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 the end it, it it's very interesting I feel like Gus Van Sant like really links the the biological with almost the transactional in a lot of senses um what do you mean by that in in the sense well there's a lot of incest there's a lot of incest references first of all in like Scott's Scott's brother being his father. Sorry, not Scott's brother being his father. Mike. Mike's. Oh, really? Yeah, because that's his brother. What? So Mike's brother, who he sees. You know that. That's his father. Oh. That's implied in the film. Really? Gosh, I'm really bad at picking yeah. up on Yeah. He's a product of incest. Oh. Yeah, there's okay. a lot of and, and 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 there's a lot of weaving into that that is also I find really fascinating. Um, for example, the type of terminology that they use for the uh, Hans, who is Hans, is one of their frequent clients. He's yes, this German businessman that basically they have helps a threesome. them, and they have a threesome, and uh, it's very paternalistic, the, the oh, yeah. threesome, yeah. Um, and and it's it's very alluding to this whole, like, daddy aspect, um, but yeah, chosen families and daddies. Well, chosen families and daddies, I feel like um, the father figure in the commune itself is also, like, this sort of blurring the lines between a lover and a father um but we might not want to get too deep into that yeah we'll we'll do we'll cover like an incest episode next time sure <laughs> next time on beyond bisexual lighting we're going to be talking about salacious female friendships yeah i think that'll be a really great theme um a little bit more raunchy for sure talk about um, sex you know uh, talk i don't like the term sensual things sure but i don't like the term torture porn um at all or like gore porn but i mean some of the films we're gonna talk about do kind of meet the marks of what it means to watch torture happen so or they're just downright spooky but yes or yes, they're spooky yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I love spooky films. They're like my favorite genre of movies. Well, we're, we're going to discuss the, the controversial, the sensual, the sexy, salacious female friendships. Yeah. On Beyond Bisexual Lighting. Anyways, thanks for 
tuning in. Yeah, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. howling way out where the doggies bawl where spurs are a-jingling a cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call